Welcome to the SG Engage podcast, where it's all social good all the time. Sit back and relax as the brightest minds from across the social good community engage with trends, big ideas, and best practices to help you drive impact. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the SG Engage podcast. This is Rachel Hutchison, and I have the honor and pleasure of leading corporate social responsibility at Blackboard. And as a host of the SG Engage podcast, I have the pleasure of having great conversations with different people in the world of social impact. And these are conversations that we at Blackboard think would be interesting to nonprofit leaders, corporate leaders, foundation leaders, or just people who are in the world of social innovation. So today I am joined by Holly Stubbing, who is the CEO of E4E Relief. Welcome to the podcast, Holly. Thank you so much, Rachel. I appreciate being here. So today's topic is employee relief funds. And before we kind of go too deep in that, I would love for you to just tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about E4E Relief. Great. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really pleased to be on the podcast and and think a lot of it. As you said, I have the opportunity to serve as president and CEO of E4E Relief, which is a public charity that provides direct grants to individuals in crisis. And we do that by offering them through employee relief programs and other community programs for grants processes. Okay, so let's start with the basics. What is an employee relief fund? Yeah, so employee relief uh, is a relatively new phenomenon. It started with 9-11 for us. We began providing grants to individuals for uh, families of of victims of 9-11 and have been in the business, so to speak, of employee relief since that time. And an employee relief fund is really directed by IRS guidelines and is a charitable way to support employees or a community of people to receive a financial grant to help cover expenses incurred due to a disaster or hardship. So I think you and I have shared before that you come from the world of community foundations. I've served on the board of a community foundation and love that world, but have really become aware of how important it is to connect community need or individual need to charitable benefit. And, and is what you're talking about something that is only done by companies or is it also done by other organizations? With staff? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, a lot of our partners in this work are corporations, but we do uh, do work for other community foundations, sort of amalgamations of, of groups. So, for example, we launched the Brave of Heart Fund this past year, which is a $65 million fund for frontline healthcare workers that is national, and it provides grants to survivor families of frontline healthcare workers who pass away in their service during COVID-19. Oh, so that's interesting. And I think, you know, in the past, we've tended, we in the world of, I think, corporate philanthropy and philanthropy have tended to think of disasters as natural disasters, very specific geographically based disasters. I'm sitting here in South Carolina having this conversation right on the coast. And, you know, of course, we know a whole lot about hurricanes. So disaster season for us is hurricane season. but. Right. COVID and, you know, is another form of disaster that's really, um, I think, allows people to think about this a little bit differently, about the hardship that comes from so many different avenues. 
Yes, I, I definitely agree with that. And I think employee relief funds in particular, but this idea of grant making individuals has really come into its own during COVID, during this past year. I know that many corporations that were thinking about things have now really taken the step because they were trying to solve for a particular need during COVID. And obviously this COVID has hit different industries, different ways, you know, some uh, very hard hit and others just different different ways. But I will say that the relief program growth is largely because of the flexibility that it offers to solve for a number of things that a company or a community might be dealing with. So you, it, it could be anything from financial hardship, um, a spouse loss of job, and, and maybe a cancer diagnosis at the same time, to a, a domestic violence situation, to what you typically, what you mentioned, to what we typically think of as natural disasters. So it does kind of solve for a variety of things going on in a corporate social responsibility and leadership setting at a corporation. So how are employee relief funds different from other charitable giving or other employee research efforts? You know, I think one of the things that makes them different is that you've you've got peer-to-peer philanthropy going on. In other words, you've got this opportunity to really use technology that's been developed um, by by companies like Blackbaud to engage people around their philanthropy and then give it directly to uh, a colleague. You know, so this idea of of you know giving to a colleague can can be actually be effectuated. Um, in an equitable way, in a way where the company doesn't have to engage at the micro level in decision making um, and know the facts of every single circumstance that's of trouble to an individual, um, but can uh, create a program of, or a body of work that will support them in those times. So I think what's different about it is this idea of the peer-to-peer giving on the front end and then the back end. You know, you can run these programs yourself. Uh, you can set up a 501c3 charity as a company or a community and operate these funds, or you can rely on a partner um, like E4E Relief to to manage those things for you. You kind of have a host of options. So one of the reasons I wanted to have this conversation with you now is that you have done something called an impact survey. And in that study, you found that providing employees relief during vulnerable times is actually really good for business. And I would love for you to unpack a little bit what data you have from your research that actually speaks to this. Yeah, so thanks for asking about this. It's As far as we know, it's the first of its kind research that's ever been done on employee relief grant making. And we wanted to, in doing this, we wanted to partner with a very knowledgeable source. And our, our partner in the work was a firm named Canary, uh, who are really um, a group of uh, financial wellness experts and we wanted to design our survey to match up to their research uh, nationally on financial wellness and financial hardship. And so the idea was to assess what impact relief funds are having on American workers. And one, you know, there are several data points that emerged from that. But the what we found is that indicators point to increased company loyalty and engagement if you have a relief program. We know that nearly 30%, 27% of all grant recipients surveyed, and we had 2,000 people respond to the survey. And this is five years of grant making, uh, 20,000 uh, grant recipients we sent it to, and we heard from 10%. So that was a really, we were very pleased with the response. But 30% of those were able to immediately direct more of their attention back to work because they had received a relief grant. 
and 73% of grant applicants surveyed stated having a relief program made them feel more positively towards their employer. Um, and putting some of those things together along with some research that we uncovered about feeling less stressed and that they were able to catch their breath um, has us believing that they're, these are you know, correlated indicators towards uh, better employee engagement and loyalty to the firm. Yeah, long, longer term retention, et cetera. It's been so interesting in the world of corporate social responsibility to see how when I started in the profession, a lot of it was really focused on brand and the company's brand and how it's really shifted to such a big part of it being about employee engagement, which I love. Yeah. So I think you and I met in the middle of at the, at the beginning, I think, of the COVID crisis and and everyone was, you know, running around saying, what, what should we do? What should we launch? And, and one of the things we talked about is what are tips for companies that, what should they know if they think that they want to start an employee relief fund? I think you actually said to me, right in the middle of the, the burning crisis is not the moment to make the decision because you might not have the right one. But what would you advise people like me think about? Sure. So, so I would say, you know, there are kind of four key things to know. Um, one is that, you know, it is not ideal to wait until the disaster strikes, although it certainly can be done during a disaster. And we would be ready to go with that conversation with anyone that wanted to be. But the idea of being able to relate this kind of program as a strategy to the business and scoping the potential impact with leadership. In other words, you know, Rachel, to your point, this is an evolving field and CSR is an evolving field. And when you think about a company's entree into ESG overlays, environmental social governance overlays from an investment point of view and from a strategic point of view, um, a relief program sets up pretty well there. So this idea of number one, planning ahead with the right team, with the right leadership team, engaging your leadership and collaboration across the organization, both kind of the, the ideal candidates to work with for us are sort of the intersection of CSR and HR having both of those players at the table is really helpful. Second thing I would talk about is funding. Make sure that you really work on your modeling for how much the program is going to cost. Um, you know, sometimes people are launching programs that are short-term in nature to address a particular disaster, as you've noted, and other times they're launching something permanently. And so when you're launching something uh, short-term and long-term, you want to know what your, what your financial implications of that are. We've seen incredible generosity this year in terms of companies stepping up during COVID. Um, E-Free Relief has, has received uh, $212 million in corporate and individual contributions in 2020 alone. And those have come from a variety of sources, executives, board members at companies, all the way down to a, a line worker who wants to make a peer-to-peer -peer contribution to help. So that's the secondary thing you know I would recommend people think about is funding. Third would be communication. How are you going to let people know this exists? Uh, just like in any corporate uh, launch of a product where you've got change management, uh, you're thinking about this is exact same thing. We want to use the same techniques around change management and communication that you would launch any program with to launch this program, engaging the right people, the right supervisors, the right base, and ensuring um, fellow colleagues know about the awareness of the program and also how to give if, if that is a, something the company is offering. And then the fourth thing would just be to know your options about how to set it up, whether you want to do something um, by establishing your own public charity 
and developing grants policy and review committee and tech infrastructure to support that or whether you want to consider a partnership externally from your organization and sort of what to look for when you're looking at an external partner. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. And I, I couldn't agree with you more on number three on communication. You know, when you launch a program, so what if you have it, if everybody really doesn't pay attention and understand it? And that's yes. a constant communication flow because you have new people joining you all the time. So, yeah. and other people who are not going to pay attention until there's a reason for them to pay attention, until it's relevant to them. You do see corporate leaders constantly assume that because they've done something really good and because they've taken this step and and it's, you know, it takes a while to kind of get your program design right and get everything up and running, not a super long time and it can be done quickly, but if it's done well, it might take a few weeks, you know, and then they just assume everyone is just going to come. And and the, and the reality is it, it has to be done in the same way you would do any anything else. Yeah, I think there's some marketing truism that you have to tell someone something like nine times for it to really like completely sink into their brain. And, right. you know, it's funny, we have a really beloved matching gift program at Blackboard and, and we're right. We're not done for the year because we allow people to upload any gifts they've made in 2020 through the end of January, but we're right at about 30% participation right now for, for matching gifts. And that's, that's really high. It's really good, but I still have, you know, every week I'll have people say things like, do we have matching gifts? Like, why don't we have something like this? I'm just like, yes, we do. It's okay. Please use it. Even awesome. though I'm constantly talking about it. Yeah. That it's great. That you've gotten your awareness out there with that usage rate, for sure. Yeah, I think one of the reasons it's so high is we have a very broad definition of what we match. Um, we match to almost everything, um, but we also talk about it a lot. And and from my mind, it's also like, what's happening with those other seventy percent who are not using it? Come on, people! Right. So, and also, <laughs> you've got a proclivity, an employee base that has a proclivity to philanthropy, and absolutely everything about it. You know, so that's and high expectations of us to help them be agents of good. So let's talk a little bit about company risk. So what kind of negative consequences might happen to a company when they're not thinking about how employees, you know, undergo stress when something happens to them? You know, they have unforeseen financial stress, you know, how can that negatively affect the company? Yeah. So this is where our impact research was particularly helpful one thing I'll open with is just, you know, national economic data um, says that 51% of employees have less, less than a month's expenses at hand for unforeseen circumstances. So straight out of the gate, we know that a $1,000 expense as a result of a disaster is not something that half the population of workers have access to. So straight out of the gate, we know that. But then beyond that, our research talked about how that 76% of our grant recipients report that had they not had the program that they would have experienced a negative event like eviction or shut off of services or absence from work. So we know that there's a direct link to, to receiving this grant to avoiding those negative events. And then this idea of if your employee is living with the weight of potentially losing their home or their heat being off, it's obviously very difficult not to bring that concern to work, leading to potential loss of focus and productivity in that instance. So what we're trying to figure out is, do these grants over time really help people be more productive? I think that it, it points to that as a potential outcome. It doesn't say it yet, but uh, you know, over time with longitudinal research here, I'm hoping we can see um, some of those ties. 
Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And with, um, you know, hardship piling on hardship, how that leads to not even being able to be at work, let alone not being focused at work. That's right. That's right. And so that's that's the key. And I think you opened the segment by talking about whether or not this is good for business. You know, and this is one of those things where, you know, you you deal with this, I'm sure, all the time in, in the role you're in, where we all are trying to figure out what is the impact of our corporate social responsibility and grant making efforts for the business. And this is one of those instances where it's it's a very nice tie to the bottom line, potentially because we're talking about our greatest asset, you know, our employees. So you've mentioned some things already about the what's happened during the time of COVID, but I want to dial back into that. Your research, I believe, for your impact study was done before COVID, but you also then have really been tracking and seeing, you mentioned, I think it was 212 million. You mentioned some things about what's been happening during COVID. And what I'm really interested in is what do you think the future is going to look like given the study and then what you've been observing this year, this past year? Yeah. I, you know, it's interesting. I I think we're still trying to get our arms around what the impact is going to be of COVID, but I know we are in the midst of, a, of another study uh, with the grant recipients we've received. I mentioned we'd had $212 million in gifts. We've given away $100 million this year, and we've had 145,000 applications from 97 countries. So it has been a crazy year in terms of the volume, but also in the types of the stories and hardships that we have seen in those applications. And, you know, it's just been staggering to think about, you know, what that might mean for supporting those people from a financial wellness perspective in the future. Uh, I think one of the things we've been really focused on, the idea of get, doing this research was all, was to really get in there and see what people need, but also maybe to influence our programs on the back end to design something that could be useful in moving towards financial wellness, you know, for some of the populations here and providing additional information or something on the back end that could be useful. So instead of it just being a transactional relationship, it maybe is a little bit something more. But we do believe that employee relief has become part of the social safety net post-COVID and that I think Many companies would say that it's necessary to support critical workers in portions of their business today through these particular kind of niche support functions. Yeah, I know our um, human resources, you know, people organization at Blackwood has been really focused on how to offer other things to our employees that have value to them. Because as you said, it became very apparent, you know, when COVID happened that people were, you know, didn't have savings for crisis. Um, so we did a like we did a one-time stipend of our own to everyone at the company who was earning below a certain level back at, back in the spring. But we've also added some benefits that are around like student loan repayment and automatic savings accounts and things that are just helping people teach that discipline of planning more yeah. and you know really trying to build muscle around that, which I think is um, is important to do. So then hope is that the impact survey will lead us to more of that relief meets prevention as you just articulated. Yeah. So like there's that. And then there's the like, how do we really double down? Although we've always focused on wellness. We have so many things this year that we're doing like mindful Mondays that are around mental health and wellness and dealing with stress, like in such a different way than anyone realized they were dealing with it before. So it's going to be very interesting to watch those two areas. Yes, for sure. So what is next for you? You said that there's another study that's in flight. When might we expect that to come out? 
I think it's going to come out in the spring of 2021. I think we'll be largely through um, a lot of our work. We're also kind of simultaneous with general COVID research. We're doing uh, some specific research on Brave of Heart on the frontline healthcare worker population, which could be interesting as well. Um, and that one will probably be done, um, you know, same time frame, spring to summer. So more to come there. I think, you know, as far as E4E relief and where we're headed, uh, we're really focused on building our customer and applicant experience this year and really honing in on exactly what what type of experience we're delivering given the growth that we've had and making sure that it's the best uh, because that's what we want to we want to be in that excellent space. And so that's kind of a main focus for us. I would also say that spending some time thinking about uh, ESG um, and the relationship of relief programs to um, the ESG overlay is something I'm personally um, thinking about and talking about. So look forward to more there. But those are the, that's our focus for this year. Yeah, and I'm not surprised you mentioning ESG. Um, a really important topic. Um, you know, we do social responsibility reporting at, at Blackboard. Actually, we'll have our third report come out in the spring. And each year, you know, we evolve it. It's this ongoing journey of, you know, what data are we tracking? Um, we're not a huge company. We're a mid-sized company. Um, so what are we tracking? How are we tracking it? What are we disclosing? Um, and it's a really interesting, thoughtful journey. Um, it isn't something you can just do and check and say, hey, we did this. It's really, really important component for, for us to report back to our own people, to our customers, to investors, and to community, to all those audiences. Absolutely. And for what you all do every day, it's, it's such a natural link, you know, and while it's comprehensive, as you said, and it's not easy to get through, it's such a natural link for, for Blackboard, I would think. Yeah. And I'm always, I say this a lot when I talk about corporate social responsibility, since I kind of built the program at Blackboard is that, you know, we're a mid-sized company, a couple thousand employees and, you know, good revenues, but we're, we're very small compared to these big, big companies that are kind of the the major um, players in the world of ESG and, and reporting. And so the systems have kind of been designed for them. And so we're always trying to kind of scale it down and figure out what does, what works for a mid-sized company and then how can we help share those insights with other smaller organizations so it does, it's not just about the big guys. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Really interesting journey. So final question, if other people who are listening want to get more information about either E4E Relief or the impact survey, where should they go? They should go to our website, which is um, e4erelief.org, um, and it has the impact survey data and connect, can connect me to, to them and, and a lot of other information I think that could be useful. And that's e4erelief.org, and the four is the number four, not spelled out, or F-O-R, correct? Yes, E, the number four, E-R-E-L-I-E-F.org. Excellent. Well, Holly, I want to thank you for joining us today and for everything that you're doing during this really um, interesting and complicated time. I think it's clear, like so many other things in this um, pandemic world that we're coming out, we're gonna come out of it differently, but but we're gonna evolve our practice. And I hope and think that that practice will be smarter, particularly in the area of employee relief funds. So thank you so much for joining us today. For sure, and Rachel, really appreciate you asking me and being here and look forward to, you know, continued conversations in the future about, about the subject.
Absolutely. So maybe you can circle back when your next study comes uh, and we'll see what else you've learned. That sounds great. Thanks so much. You're welcome. So to the listening audience out there for SG Engage, thank you so much for joining us for another podcast episode. Please uh, continue to follow us and listen to our podcasts on whatever channel you prefer. Uh, This is Rachel Hutchison signing off. Thanks so much.